Marissa Lee here, and I'm so excited to be sharing today's interview round episode with you. In these episodes, our brilliant lineup of guests will include healthcare practitioners, voice educators, and other professionals who will share their stories, knowledge, and experiences within their specialized fields to empower you to live your best life. Whether you're a member of the voice community or beyond, your voice is your unique gift. It's time now to share your gift with others, develop a positive mindset and become the best and most authentic version of yourself to create greater impact. Ultimately, you can take charge. It's time for you to live your best life. It's time now for A Voice and Beyond. So, without further ado, let's go to today's episode. Many of us identify so strongly with the thoughts that are running through our minds that we begin to believe those thoughts. And sometimes it can be difficult to sort through all our doubts and uncertainties that we experience in the process. However, our thoughts do not define us and they are not always the truth. Mindfulness is a practice that helps us to disidentify from those thoughts and manage our emotions so we can live a far more intentional life. Today's guest is Evan Dunn, who is a mindfulness coach for Take the Stage Coaching, a professional opera singer and host of Take the Stage Coaching podcast. Evan describes mindfulness as a way to discover who we truly are, as a way to connect to our deepest feelings, learn how to process these feelings and ultimately become more empowered in the future. Evan believes that we all have the choice to design a life where we feel so much better than we do at present and the only person who can make this happen is us. In this episode, Evan explains the true meaning of mindfulness. He gives us some tools we can use to become more mindful and the benefits it can have on all of us in our relationships with others, as well as our own physical, mental and emotional health. The past lives as a memory and the future as thoughts. We all have a choice in life. And you don't want to miss Evan's great advice for designing the lives that we choose for ourselves. So without further ado, let's go to today's episode. Evan Dunn, welcome to A Voice and Beyond. It's so lovely to have you on the show. You are my very first guest from Idaho. (laughs) (laughs) And when I think of Idaho, for some reason, I think of potatoes. Like, what is it about Idaho potatoes? (laughs) You are exactly right. Really? Um, 
so many potatoes in Idaho. In fact, when <laughs> I was growing up, my house, we bought a plot of land that was surrounded by a potato field. And I was, um, well, when I was in high school, I was released for two weeks out of the fall so that I could work in the potato harvest. Oh my gosh. So do people in Idaho eat a lot of potatoes or are you absolutely sick of potatoes? You know, I think definitely in my family, we ate a lot of potatoes because potatoes that would fall off the trucks around the fields, the farmer said we could just go pick them up. So we had lots of potatoes and (laughs) I was so spoiled. Like if I eat a boxed potato, you know, those dry potato pearls, I just want to throw up. I think, what is this garbage? I want an actual potato. (laughs) That is so funny. I love that. I actually just threw that in because my silly Aussie humor thought it was something that uh, appealed to me to ask. And you didn't realize that I actually am a potato person. (laughs) No, getting to know you, Evan, you are a mindfulness coach for Take the Stage Coaching, a professional opera singer and host of your own podcast, Take the Stage Coaching. Let's look at where your journey began. You do some brilliant work, but I'd like the listeners to learn who you are. So when did you start singing and when did you discover you're actually good at singing? I grew up um, in a, I guess I would say a somewhat musical family. My parents didn't have any musical training, but my mom wanted there are seven kids in my family and she wanted all seven of us to learn how to play the piano. So she decided, even though she didn't know how to play the piano, that she would take us all to piano lessons every week. And she practiced with all seven of us every day. And I don't know how she did that, but that was something that was so important to her. Mm -hmm. And then I, you know, I met a few people along the way who would say, Oh, come sing in this boys choir or, you know, just like little by little, mm-hmm. I just kind of was singing in some things. And then it was funny because by the time I got to high school, my first year of high school, I didn't make it into the choir. And I thought, oh, maybe I'm no good at singing. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I had a student teacher who actually, she is my dear friend to this day. And she is a life coach as well. Her name is Emily Ricks and she's amazing. And she was a student teacher and she said, come take voice lessons with me. And I just fell in love with her, fell in love with singing and just that's kind of how it started. Yes. So in terms of your family, I know that a lot of parents think that going into a performance career is rather risky because it's such an unstable and unknown industry. Were your parents encouraging of you to go into that field or did they want you to play sports or did they think, no, you need to go into a corporate job such as being an accountant or how did they feel about all this? I never felt pressure from my parents to be doing anything other than what I'm doing. Um, And so I have to feel very grateful for that, but Mm. that, you know, the rest of the world has definitely given me so many messages about why not to do what I'm doing. And um, so I suppose in a lot of ways, I was lucky to have a support system. Now, I know that you're a a baritone 
slash base, which you to me, I was surprised to hear that because when I mm-hmm. hear you speak, I can't imagine you being either of those. Mm-hmm. So when you went through voice change, did your voice plummet? Like did you go from this really high voice to this bass rather quickly? Yeah. Yes. I, in fact, I was singing in The Sound of Music and I was singing the goodbye, you know, the high G thing. I think, I don't know if it's a G, I'm making stuff up probably. That's but, right. You know, saying that kind of high part. And I remember um, my teacher who was kind of working with me on singing this and she was saying, oh, your voice seems like it's starting to change. You got to hold on to it for a few more weeks. And then it was like two weeks later, I was a baritone and it was just like, so drastic. I don't even remember thinking, oh, my voice is really changing. It was just like, oh, all of a sudden, everything's different. (laughs) So when did you start your formal training? And was that in classical singing? Uh, Yeah. So I did take lessons all throughout high school and just kind of had fun with that. But um, when I was in college, I started college a little later. I traveled around the world, did some things. And I, when I started college, I thought, you know, maybe I'll be an orchestra teacher or a choir teacher because Mm -hmm. I enjoyed all sorts of classical music, especially classical music really spoke to me from a young age. Okay. Um, And so I was kind of sitting there and then I had a teacher, Christine Szynski, and she kept saying, oh, well, you got to be an opera singer. You got to be an opera singer. And I was like, I am not interested in opera. First of all, I did a musical in high school and I really had a very challenging experience while doing it. I didn't feel like I really knew how to act or what to do. And it was kind of terrifying to me. And I thought I'm never wearing makeup and I'm never getting on a stage and getting in a costume ever again. And she just kept saying, no, you got to sing opera. You got to sing opera. And I did a little opera scene with her and I just fell in love with it. And I thought, oh my gosh, I wonder if I've been an actor my whole life and I didn't really know it. Or like maybe I didn't have the skills or somebody there to help me to know. Sure. Yes. So. Yeah. So you you had a performance career? Yes. So um, I ended up, after I graduated, I ended up getting into performing And um, I got a master's in performance and then I performed um, around the country doing about half of my resumes, musical theater and about half is opera, which I really love doing both. And um, yeah. Then you made the transition into coaching. So at what point of time in your career did you go from performance to coaching or did you have those careers running alongside of each other? I feel like they're definitely still running alongside of each other. In fact, um, my wife and I, and we have three little kids we're planning. I can't, I can't say definitively when, but in the foreseeable future to go to Europe, that's been our goal for a long time, but I would like to have, you know, my coaching clients alongside with my singing career. Okay, so that's still happening, your your mm-hmm. performance career, aside from COVID, shutting it down yes. for a while. Yes, okay. yes. In fact, I got to sing at a recital last night. It was so Aww. fun. Oh, so. so your coaching business, 
Let's talk about that because I'm actually, I'm really fascinated in the work that you do. Tell us what Take the Stage Coaching offers. So I help artists um, to successfully navigate the pressures of their entrepreneurial careers there. And I love working obviously with singers since I'm a singer myself, but I have worked with artists, actors, and um, it's kind of expanded beyond that. I've worked with new mothers. I've worked with business owners and working with their mindfulness so that they can be more intentional about living the life that they want, having less stress and more joy. Now, Oh, that sounds amazing. I think we can. Right? We can, can I have that intravenously? Yeah, yeah. Wouldn't it be so nice if it were just like a little pill? I know, right? I, w- I would be absolutely addicted to those pills. Let's talk about one aspect which you didn't touch on, and then I will go into the mindfulness because that's the part that's really fascinating to me. Sure. And, and, and then we'll talk about your business coaching. So with your performance coaching, you cover performance anxiety. I want to know how did that come about? Did you yourself suffer from performance anxiety or what inspired you to help other performance with their anxiety issues? Well, I don't know that I'd say I have, you know, a lot of performance anxiety, um, except for just kind of the typical things I do. When I perform, I always have this fear in my head. You're going to forget your words. You're going to forget your words. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. And it's this story that I tell myself. So I actively work through my mindfulness to disprove that story so that I know that I don't need to believe it just because it's a thought in my head. Mm -hmm. But the reason I really got into it was because I've been teaching um, more voice lessons, um, obviously during the pandemic. And I just started noticing students of mine who have anxiety in their lessons, not even always just performance anxiety, Um, anxiety about their life in general, just stresses about so many things going on in the world. And, um, you know, there's this joke that voice teachers are therapists and we all, it's not a joke. (laughs) Yeah. But Mm -hmm. like really what tools do voice teachers have to offer? I mean, they, Mm -hmm. we all do the best that we can when we're teaching, of course, but I thought, you know, I had worked with a life coach kind of mindfulness coach and it was totally life-changing for me. And I thought, I would love to be able to help my students with this. And then it just kind of expanded. So you use things that you've learned yourself around mindfulness to help your students and yourself? Yeah. In terms yes. of performance anxiety. Yes, totally. Even, you know, I said I was singing at a recital last night and I have, you know, a practice of how do I prepare mindfully so that I'm ready to, you know, have a wonderful experience and have my own back and support myself no matter what happens. And yeah, that's part of what I do. Let's delve into mindfulness because it's a hot, it's a hot topic and it has been for some time now. 
And I don't know that everyone fully understands what mindfulness is. Mm. And for some people, they may think, oh, this is a new age thing. This is something that tree huggers do. You know, it's for those people that grow hair under their armpits, that go around (laughs) skipping through daisy fields. Um, It's woo-woo. So tell us what is mindfulness exactly? Well, if I could go around and hug trees and skip in daisies. I'd probably just do that all the time. I think that sounds wonderful. (laughs) But (laughs) um, So mindfulness for me is a way of being able to understand that my thoughts are not myself. Mm -hmm. There's a separation so that when I have this kind of run, well, how do I describe it? It's kind of like just consistent thoughts, persistent, that they just keep running through your mind. You know what I'm talking about? Mm. And we identify ourselves so strongly with those thoughts that are running through our brains. We think that we are those thoughts. Mm -hmm. And mindfulness for me is a way to step back and disidentify myself with those thoughts so that I can start to disprove them and actually believe better thoughts that are more helpful for me and that help me to understand my feelings better, create feelings that are more helpful for me. And yeah. So it's more than just being in the present moment. It's actually disengaging from the thought processes or the belief systems that you have in your mind in that yeah, moment in yeah. time. Living in this present moment is definitely part of that because, I mean, if you think of it, this moment, this moment right now with you and I, Marissa, is the only moment we're ever actually experiencing. Mm -hmm. And this next moment and this next moment and the past lives as a memory and the future as thoughts. And so often we're living in anxiety and fear about the future or anger and frustration about the past. So yes, learning to live in this present moment is so, so, so crucial. But yes, um, if I can take a step back and recognize that those words running through my head are not me and that they're not necessarily telling me the truth and that they're not always helpful then that's a really powerful thing. I heard it once described as um, if you saw someone on the street, you might've seen someone that we called like a crazy person and you, and they're speaking, they're shouting out and they don't really have a facility of um, kind of deciding what they're going to say before they say it. They just shout out their thoughts and we think, Oh, well, that's crazy. How Mm -hmm. could, you know, I'm so glad that I'm not like that, but here I am. And my brain is running a hundred miles a minute of all these random thoughts that aren't really helpful or true. It's just that I have a little bit of a filter and I can keep my thoughts inside most of the time. Yes. I heard somewhere that we have about 60,000 thoughts a day. Yes, exactly. And 70% of those are negative and 70% of those are on repeat. So that's a lot of negative self-talk. So when we're born into this earth, we're all born equally. We're all babies. 
So how do we acquire all that, that, those stories that we believe to be true and those thoughts that come along with those stories? I tell my clients and my students that everyone struggles with it. There are definitely some people who struggle with it more, but it really comes down to, you know, learning to believe those thoughts. And some people hold on to their thoughts in this. It's like a story that you're telling yourself mm-hmm. in your, in your head. And some people hold on to those thoughts a lot stronger than other people. Um, but we all do it. Yes. We're actually lying to ourselves in one sense, oh, aren't we? Totally. A hundred percent. Yeah. We're just, we literally are making up stories and then we add meaning to each little story. It's like, I had a student just today who told me, I'm not very good under pressure. I always crumble. And I was like, Hmm, let's, let's kind of break that down a little bit. So what does it mean to that? You always crumble under pressure. And it's like, as we talked about it, we realized that she didn't really mean always because sometimes she actually does say the right words and she's sometimes sings beautifully. And so when she's using the word always, she's making up a story and lying to herself. And then what does it even mean to crumble? Like, how do you define that in a court of law that you crumble under pressure? Well, sometimes I forget my words. Well, is that really crumbling under pressure or are you just adding a lot of meaning to this story that you have in your head about your performance anxiety? That's really interesting because in one sense, what you're telling her to do I, I, what I interpret is that you're telling her to mind her language too. Right. It's, it's first notice that you've got a thought and then there are, you know, several um, tools that we can use to start inquiring after those thoughts and deciding whether they're really true, whether they're really helpful. And if we really want to continue believing them and taking them into our future, or Mm -hmm. if we would like to start practicing a different thought that um, helps us to feel more empowered and to feel more excited and ready to take on another challenge. And that's a really good tool also that helps us to not be so reactive. If we take that moment to process and think about something before we open our mouths because they say that that those few seconds before you respond can be so important too and that will help us in the way that we connect with other people but also to the language that we use and and you know what is our true belief right in this moment mhm yeah I mean, it has been a game changer as far as relationships, definitely with my wife. I mean, how often is it that we're like, you know, for example, I might see her do something and I just instantly could start making up a story about how she's trying to make me mad or she's trying to whatever. I'm not even being very specific, but (laughs) I can be specific. I'll be, oh, I'll okay. tell, I'll share something right now. And this okay, is Okay, let's get into it. Yes. <laughs> so, okay, at home with my husband, I, to me, I don't believe he's very mindful because if we're sitting there having a conversation, we can be talking about something really serious 
as soon as he receives a notification on his phone, his immediate reaction is pick up the phone phone and look at it. Sure. And look at it and disengages from the conversation. And to me, I think one, he's not being very present. And I'll say to him, my, the language that I use and the thoughts that come to my head in that moment are, you're not giving me a safe space to speak to you. I don't feel that you're listening to me. I feel that you're not validating what I have to say. And I feel that what I have to say is not important to you. Right. Sure. So that, and that all comes one as a society in our relationships, we have become really disengaged. Haven't we? Like because of technology too. How many people do you see sitting around at a dinner table or out for dinner and they're on their phones? I go to right. the gym and everyone's on their phones on social media and I, I, I don't understand that. So how, sure, sure. why have we become so disengaged and not living in the present? Yeah, well, I mean, it it's it is true that it's especially hard with all the social media and it's just a really busy hustle bustle life. And that's kind of what we've been raised to think that our life needs to be. So it is very tricky and and there are a lot of distractions. But um really it comes down to if I think that mindfulness is important to me, then it's a skill that I can learn how to do. And am I still going to be living with my phone and with different things? Yeah, sure. But I can, you know, try to mitigate that as much as possible. So, mm, mm. so why is it important to be mindful? How does it benefit us mentally, physically, emotionally? And is there science to back that up? Yes. Yeah, so when, when I first think of the scientific research for this, um, I first have to go to Dr. David Burns, and he's one of the people who popularized CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. And there were other um, doctors who kind of started that movement, but he popularized it with a book, uh, Feeling Good, and a, later another book, Feeling Great. And cognitive behavioral therapy is essentially the recognition that it's not our circumstances that decide how we feel. There really is another step in between the circumstances and the feelings, and that's our thoughts. And um, so this research that um, was done is so helpful because it helps people to realize I'm experiencing high levels of anxiety, depression, stress frustration, all these different feelings. And all the feelings really are valid. Um, I'm not trying to say that we should Mm. never feel those things because learning how to feel your feelings and process them is also a super critical part of mindfulness. Like, oh my gosh, I feel performance anxiety. Okay. That's okay. I've got some steps. I know what to do and how to kind of embrace this feeling. But just because we can feel all those feelings and we can have tools to know how to process them doesn't mean 
that they're always very helpful because the feelings that we feel really do propel us into the actions that we want in our lives. And if we're always acting out of like a a state of stress or frustration, then we're not really being as intentional or maybe we're, if we're always afraid, then we might never, we might never take any risks that would help us to grow. So there are these feelings that we need to learn how to process and cognitive behavioral therapy, which in my mind is mindfulness, but for therapy, um, it's really a way for people to recognize I don't have to always feel the way that I'm feeling just because my circumstances may seem to dictate that. If I can realize that I'm seeing the world with some distorted lenses, I've got some stories I'm telling myself that aren't necessarily true or helpful, and I can disprove them with my thoughts and create more helpful thoughts. I can have different feelings, and this will lead me to act more intentionally in my life. So really when, you know, do you need mindfulness in your life? I mean, that's up to you, right? You could, you could spend a gazillion hours and become perfectly mindful. And that's a wonderful choice that you could make, but you could also continue to live exactly how you are and, or any range in between. That's totally your choice. But if you don't want to feel you know, bogged down and overwhelmed and stressed as often as you are. And you think that maybe a little bit of joy could help you to live life a little more fully and try some exciting new things and maybe not be afraid of your feelings. Then mindfulness is an amazing tool that anyone can learn. What are some of the tools that you use to teach mindfulness? Okay, well, I use um, a lot of different um, tools that I've studied from teachers like Byron Katie and the work. Um, I also use um, tools that I've learned from Brooke Castillo's and uh, CTFAR, as well as so many mindfulness techniques from Eckhart Tolle, David Burns, all, you know, just taking from all of these amazing teachers and, um, and compiling them. But when I'm coaching somebody, it comes Mm -hmm. down to you start and you start telling me your story and I start helping you point out the distortions in your thoughts and distortions are really just like, let's say your glasses are really smudgy or you've got, you know, you're, you're only seeing about 30% of the truth. And then the rest is kind of a story you've made up. We've got these distortions that we're seeing in the world. So you start talking, I help Mm -hmm. you point out the distortions and we, we try to discover how truthful your story is. And if it's actually helpful to you, ultimately you get to decide the thoughts that you want to keep taking and believing. Um, Mm -hmm. But we start coming up collaboratively with thoughts that could be more helpful for you. And then we start practicing those thoughts and we practice them through journaling techniques. Um, There, you know, so many fun things that we can do, but yeah, that's kind of what it looks like. Okay. Is it possible to do a little role play right now? I'm going to put you on. Sure. Can we do that? So we can give our listeners and I'm going to allow myself to be totally vulnerable and up for judgment. (laughs) 
<laughs> by others by doing this. So let, let's just give it a go and see how we go. We don't have to like, I'll, I'll leave it with you. You can coach me. Okay. Well, um, and you, you can tell me if there's something else you'd like to coach on, but it was interesting. You brought up this topic of talking about your husband and his mindfulness mm -hmm. and your reaction. Is that something that we could talk about? Sure. Let's do this. Yes. Okay. So you, you started telling me a story and I don't want to put words into your mouth, No. let me kind of say back what I thought I was hearing yes. and you yes. tell me if I'm right. Okay? okay. Yes. Let's do this. I'm up for it. Yay. So, um, yeah, the, the interesting thing is, is that you are experiencing one thing and you're watching your husband and basically you're interpreting what you think is going on. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. Sure. You said he's that he is making you feel um, maybe that you're not in a safe place. Is that does that sound familiar? Yes. Okay. And what else? Uh, that he is not interested in what I have to say and what is going on in my life is not important to him. Mm, sure. So what I would ask is, yes. can you know with 100% certainty that what you're saying is not important to him? No. Right. And when you think that, how does that make you feel? When I think that he's not listening to me. Right. Or, that he's not interested. Okay. That he's um, not interested. Hurt. Hurt. Mm -hmm. And when you feel hurt, how mm -hmm. do you act in that situation? What does that? My immediate reaction is to, well, I suppose in one sense, yeah, pull him up on it. I want to pull him sure. up on it. And I want him to know that he's hurt me and that what he's doing is not uh, like validating me or sure. it's, it's that safe space hmm. comment is that it's making it more difficult for me to share my feelings and that next time I will be less inclined to speak up sure. because I feel that, that I don't have, he's not holding space for me to speak. Okay. So this is, this is where it can be very tricky because mm -hmm. in the long run, we can only be empowered by our own thoughts and our own choices. And if he is acting like this, I'm not condoning him because no. he, um, you know, if you're telling him something important and he's not paying attention, you know, that's something that you definitely should be able to speak to him about. Sure. But what I would want you to start thinking about is whether it's actually possible for him to hurt you or if it's your thoughts about him that are hurting you? Mm, that's a very interesting question. 
And when and you put it like that, it's my thoughts. I'm right. Yeah, I'm choosing those thoughts because I know my husband loves me very much. And he, wow. And he would never want to hurt me. Right. But in that moment, mm. you have a story in your head mm. that he's disinterested. Mm-hmm. It causes you hurt. Mm-hmm. And then you said that you kind of want to you want to make sure to address it with him, which is a wonderful thing. Addressing things with each other is great, but it also kind of makes you feel like you want to shut down more in the future, which is less communication Mm. in the long run. Mm -hmm. Yes. So um, just starting and we, we could go on and on and on. Of course we could talk for hours about this, but just recognizing that tiny little thought that, First of all, I'm believing a thought that I can't even know is 100% true. And that's the thought that's causing me this hurt rather than giving him all the power. Like, oh, he's the one who gets to decide how I feel. He decides if I'm happy. He decides if I'm hurt. He decides if I love myself or if I hate myself. Instead, hopefully as, you know, working on your mindfulness, you can start taking that power for yourself, which is the most amazing thing that I get to see as a coach. That is so cool because I didn't think that essentially I'm giving him power over my feelings. Right. And, and, you know, I brought this up because I suppose, you know, I used the example of my husband earlier because Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of women and there's probably a lot of males in relationships that feel that they're not being heard for whatever reason. So, I mean, that's really helpful for me and I hope that it's helped other people that feel that they're being silenced or they're allowing someone else's behaviour, allowing someone else's behaviour to silence them. Right. And of course, that, yeah. Sorry. And of course, if they're doing something that you don't want to continue to live with, of like if someone's being abusive, or even there are a lot of steps between what you're talking about and abuse, obviously. Oh, yes. He's not. <laughs> He's not. Yes. <laughs> and, and you always have the power to choose mm. to live with the things that are going on, that the choices that someone else is making or not. That is like, you always have that option and we are not condoning what other people do. But when we start to realize that no matter what someone else does or what they say, or a circumstance in the world, I always have the power to step back, recognize my thoughts, choose thoughts that are helpful and powerful for me right now. Mm -hmm. And then I get to move forward with whatever decision I want to make. I Maybe I want to talk to my husband, just like you're saying. I want to talk to my husband and tell him that I would really appreciate if he would put his phone down. But hopefully I can do that um, with a little bit more authenticity in the moment rather than like with a blame thing of you've hurt me. Yes. Yes. So that immediately puts you into almost a victim mentality. Exactly. exactly. And I don't like victims and I'm being one. Well, all of us are victims sometimes. (sighs) And that's why it's so helpful to have a coach 
when you need one. It's not like you need a coach hanging around you all the time, Mm. but it's like a voice teacher. If you go to a voice teacher, they hear things that you can't hear, and then they help you to figure out what to do differently. And a coach can really help you to notice those distortions. And they'll be like, Hey, wait a minute, I heard something. And of course, lovingly, you know, help you to, to discover a better truth. And then ultimately a way that you would like to be acting and feeling that's Mm -hmm. more helpful for you. And most of us, our feelings and our reactions are distorted and our decision-making making can often be distorted by emotion. Exactly. Yes. And I know myself that if if a situation arises and I have to make a decision and I'm highly emotionally charged in that moment in time, I will not be pushed into making a decision. I have to step away because my decision can be so off because my emotions are running rampant. I have mm-hmm. to say no. I'm not deciding right now. I have to either sleep on it. I had a situation Mm -hmm. arise a few weeks ago that was so stressful and brought a lot of anxiety into my life and I had to make a decision around the situation. I actually took a month before Mm -hmm. I made a decision because I just couldn't, I, I couldn't do it and, and know truthfully that what I was doing was the right thing to do. Right. And I think that there's, and that's learning about yourself too, isn't it? I think we can all learn about ourselves a lot more too. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And I love how you talk about the, kind of taking time for yourself. I always call it giving yourself space. And mm. that can be just like, even if it's just a couple of seconds, instead of immediately reacting to whatever thought is running through your brain, to be able to step back, take a break, recognize that the thought exists. And then give yourself some space to say, do I believe that thought? Is it helpful? Is there something else I could believe that's more helpful? And then I can move forward. Mm. I know I'm sharing a lot about my relationship here and I want people to know (laughs) that my husband is a wonderful man and we've been together for over 31 years. We have an amazing relationship. We really do. But like all relationships, we've had to work and we've had to learn about each other. And I'm so grateful that this person has come into my life. And one Mm. of the things that talking about what you just said that we do is if we feel that we're entering into a place in a discussion that it becomes really heated, Mm -hmm you know, it's starting to escalate and you, we can predict that it's going to be a no win if we continue on this way, we will call five-minute timeout. <laughs> I love it. We go five minutes, timeout, go into another room. One of us will <laughs> take ourselves off and go, what is the outcome that we're wanting to achieve here? What is really going on here? Mm. Take a breath and go back 
And that helps so much. And it's, once again, it's being mindful, isn't it? Right, yeah. So there are a lot of little practices, therefore, that I'm already kind of incorporating without realizing that I'm doing it. I know it's so funny as we talk about mindfulness and your thoughts and your feelings, because when I explain it to people, it feels totally new, Mm. life-changing. Like it's kind of mind-blowing the more that you think about it and the more that you practice it, you're like, oh my gosh, I've been letting the government have power over my emotions. I've been letting the weather have power over my emotions. I've been blah, 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 all these things. And it's, you know, it's just kind of an amazing thing, but you also start to recognize, Hey, I have practiced this before at times. Like I think back to a time I was living in Africa Mm. and it was the traffic in Africa is so crazy. Yes. And, um, And I was driving around in Africa and I remember other people who were there with me um, who would get so, 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 so stressed about driving. And it was just like anxiety inducing. And I remember seeing them and thinking, when I drive here, I want to feel calm. And so I just kind of embraced the fact that that's what traffic is like. And no amount of me stressing about it is going to change what traffic Mm -hmm. is like in Africa. Mm -hmm. And I remember feeling totally calm the whole time I was driving, no matter what other. And I, and so looking back, I'm like, that's what I did. I practiced mindfulness. I decided that I didn't want to believe what I was currently believing. And I chose to believe something else. It took some practice. It created a lot of peace and joy for me instead of stress and anxiety. And so why is it so mind blowing? When we all have done it before, we just don't really realize that we have that power within ourselves. Mm. And that's what I'm like trying to help to pull out of all of my clients. And then there's these moments where they come to me and it's like the weight of the world is on their shoulders and they're, they're carrying heavy burdens and they, they feel overwhelmed. And within moments, they're usually laughing and they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that I was thinking this way and that this other way of thinking feels so much better. And that is the most exciting thing that I get to do as a coach. And I kind of witnessed it with you. I mean, we were talking for about three minutes, but it starts to feel like I have power in this moment. And that's an amazing thing. And what you're doing is liberating your clients too. You're removing some of the shackles that are keeping them from living their best life. Have you noticed through COVID and beyond that people, people have changed, the people are more stressed, they're less mindful, or do you find the overall demeanor of people is different? I think that some people have allowed COVID to bring them more towards mindfulness and wellness. And Mm -hmm. some people, it has made them much more stressed and anxious. And, um, but again, you know, just because that's kind of maybe your natural thing. I feel like I was kind of naturally a negative person. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I've kind of always been like a smiley guy, but you know, my wife knows and my, the people close to me know that I was kind of a complainer. 
oh, you know, I like went behind closed doors, complain, 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 complain. And that was kind of my natural state of things. And um, so no matter what your kind of natural inclination is, maybe, you know, you have always blamed your feelings on everyone else. And it's, you know, it's kind of a learning curve to Mm. start quote unquote, blaming it on yourself, but I don't mean to blame it on you. It's not your fault. It's just that you don't, you know, like if I say your, your stress or your anxiety is caused because of your thinking, some people might think, oh, that's because it's me. It's my, you know, they start being overwhelmed by it. And that's not what it means at all. It really just means you have the power to learn how to a new skill which might not feel natural to you, but you, you can totally do it if you want to. Mm. When you were saying that you're a complainer and you, you complain about <laughs> everything, you know what I call those people? What? Umis. What, what does that mean, umi? A, an umi is like, oh, me back. <laughs> oh, me boss. Oh, me life is miserable. It's yeah. an umi. And I I learned that from a girlfriend of mine. (laughs) She calls them umis and I think it's hilarious. And with COVID, yes, I suppose, if people have a certain predisposition to a personality type that you have swung further that way perhaps. And I believe that COVID has brought out the best and the worst in everybody, definitely. And what about meditation? Because to me, I always associated uh, meditation with mindfulness. Okay, sure. So is that just one of the tools in a big toolbox that we can use to become more mindful? Definitely, yes. And and meditation can look so different. Um, I started learning about this um, from... Um, Laura Araho at the MAPS Institute. So I definitely recommend anyone looking um, up the MAPS Institute. You can um, register for all of their articles for free, actually. And um, and I write occasionally some articles for them. But she um, did a mindfulness, or sorry, a meditation kind of challenge, I guess you could say, and, was, and it was teaching seven different types of meditation in seven yeah. days. And it was so eye-opening for me to to recognize that, yes, I do like to meditate occasionally lying on the floor. And I definitely love my um, Shavasana at the end of yoga. That's super important to me, but I don't always love to lie on my back and meditate. And I kind of realized that it's okay because there are so many other ways for me to be mindful. I actually Mm. love kind of creating a meditative state for me myself as I'm making my breakfast in the morning, I make oatmeal every morning and, and I try to go around the kitchen, just like really mindfully thinking about each thing that I'm doing, creating feelings of peace and joy for myself. You know, it's, it's just a beautiful way to start my day. And, you know, people do it walking, they do walking meditations. There's so many different ways to do it and definitely tools in the toolbox, however it looks for you. That's Mm. wonderful. (laughs) I'm one of those people that I I find it difficult to switch off in meditation as well. Sometimes Mm -hmm. 
in a 10-minute meditation, the first nine minutes are spent thinking about my day ahead and then the last mm. minute is when I finally go, oh, okay. Right, <laughs> place. Yeah. But I love, I find that the place where I'm the most mindful is in Pilates. It's yes, probably yeah. the only place for me where I all I'm thinking about is what I'm doing right mm. in that second in time. And mm. I love things like doing Sudoku or Wordle where you totally switch off from everything too. Yeah, and and in you know, speaking of Pilates and kind of that focus mind or whatever activity you're doing in yoga and from this is from the Bhagavad Gita, you know, they call it uh, abhyasa and viragya. Abhyasa oh, yeah. is that focused attention coming to the mat and breathing. And your mind really does focus on the movement the whole time that you're doing it. And then there's this joyful meditative aspect, which is viragya, where you are releasing any expectations and just kind of feeling joyful. And I, I love that too. I love doing yoga for so long. I would do yoga and I would just kind of, uh, I would suffer my way through my yoga practices and, you know, it's been such a joyful thing for me to realize that I can feel happiness and peace throughout and make my yoga practice my own focus in my own way. And yeah. Mm. We had a guest just recently who spoke about, uh, she's a, a yoga instructor, Jen mm -hmm. Haddix, and I shared with her that I don't do yoga because I've only, I've been twice and both times I cried like a baby. Oh, right. and she And she said that was fantastic and I said, well, I'm not paying someone to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So if someone wants to delve into mindfulness, where can they start? Yeah. Um, so like I said, you know, you don't have to go to 100 miles an hour ever in your life with mindfulness. But, you know, little by little, you can definitely learn some tools. And um, I would recommend, especially for maybe some of our artistic friends out listening, I've got an Instagram page, Take the Stage Coaching, where I love talking about mindfulness. There's also mm -hmm. some fun, silly classical music humor. But um, that's maybe a place to get started. And of course, the, my podcast, Take the Stage Coaching. But there are so many books. Mm -hmm. um, I recently did an episode about the four books that I would recommend to get started. And I do know some people don't really consider themselves readers. Yes. And so, you know, that's if me. you... Right. And that is like totally fine. If you want to read a gazillion books like I have done and go through trainings and, you know, that is an option for you, but that takes a gazillion hours. Right. And yes. that's not always what everyone wants to do. And that's totally good. Um, and so that's why coaching with someone is a great option where you can just sit down with someone, learn the techniques and kind of have them guide you through pushing you, so that you can learn the skills and start applying them in your life. And it's not just because I want to feel peace in this moment. That's amazing. You should be trying to find ways to feel peace and joy in this moment. But also, 
Um, I push my clients to come up with intentional plans from this place of peace and joy in your life so that you are leaning into the future of your choice. It turns into action, actions that accumulate over time. You know, it's like that 1% rule uh, accumulating over time to literally create the future of your dreams. Mm, Yes. And we have the power to design our futures and yes, it is we so do. much about creating it's it's a it's a, about setting intentions and not leaving mm-hmm. our lives to the randomness of the world and the right. randomness of, of people around us and and many, you know what sorry but yeah. you know it is crazy because things do happen in the world that we don't control mm. and I can't always imagine what is going to happen in the future. And that's kind of the beauty of it. But if I can master the skills of mindfulness, it doesn't really matter what the world throws at me. I'll have the emotional resilience to have my own back, to be able to care for myself and face anything that the future does bring to me, as well as thriving in this kind of intentional choice making that I'm doing for myself. Yes, and that's a really good point that you make because what you're doing is planning for the future in a way that you can protect yourself from living a life of disharmony or whatever you want to call it, of anxiety, of high stress. Most people wait till it's too late to seek help. But this is kind of pre preparing yourself for no matter what happens to you. Yeah, you definitely, there could be a point in your life where you just really have a breakdown. Mm. And that that's also fine because I am here ready to help you if you have a breakdown and you need help. But I definitely prefer that I'm going to maintain, I'm going to learn the skills. Now I'm going to take care of myself and develop it so that I don't, you know, it's like, Do I really Mm -hmm. want to be putting out fires around me all the time? Or do I want to be prepared so that there are fewer fires to be putting out? So rather than walking around with a fire hose, you've got the suit that's fireproof. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think I think that that's there's some truth to that. But also stop lighting fires all around yourself. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. So true. And I love people that gaslight too. Oh, oh, yes, oh my yeah. gosh. Don't even get, get me started on that yeah, one. Yeah. So what do you say to the skeptics, people who, who think this is woo-woo? What would you say to those people? You know, it's so funny because especially when I've come home from a day and I've coached some amazing clients and I just go to my wife and I'm like always glowing <laughs> because I just... And I just want to shout to the world that you can feel so much better than you're currently feeling. And of course, the only one who can make that happen is you. Absolutely. And if you really believe that it's always this, I I just, especially, I have to say, especially in this operatic community that I find myself a part of, and I'm so grateful that I'm a part of, people are very skeptical and, Mm -hmm. um, And there is a lot of sentiments going around about like the government will make me happy 
my partner will make me happy or they won't, right? Like I'm going to continue being miserable because of whatever is happening. And it's like, it, again, it's just a thought. It's just a thought that's going through people's heads. And I just want to like reach in and just say, oh my goodness, there is so much in this world to thrill and to um, to feel joyful over and to feel peace over. And, you know, there are some big feelings out there that you're probably hiding from. You're probably buffering by like, you know, I'm going to social media away my feelings. I'm going to sex away my feelings. I'm going to drink away my feelings. And of right. course, you know, sex, drinks, all of those can be a part of a totally health, healthy lifestyle. But I'm just talking about like, yes, I cannot, yeah. yes, I cannot deal with the emotions that are going on with my life. And so I'm just going to hide on Instagram or Facebook or Netflix And I'm not going to experience the broad range of emotions that I could have as a human. Mm. And I'm just like, people, there is so much more out there for you if you were just willing to believe it. Yes. And what you said about the, uh, the classical world, I think that, I think it's, true to say and it's fair to say it's across all genres it's not just the classical world I think performing artists can have that feeling of woe is me and Mm -hmm. unless I'm in that woe is me mentality I can't be creative either it's when I'm in that woe is is me mentality that when I'm at my best and I'm performing at my best because I'm that diva who's been crucified or whatever you want to call it. And as voice teachers, I know there are boundaries that we have to set in our teaching studio and we have to be mindful of boundary violations. Mm -hmm. But if a student comes into a session with us and we can see that they're very anxious or there's something not quite right with them. Is there something that you believe we can do to help our student in that moment that doesn't cross that boundary? Yes. Well, first of all, I have to say I'm becoming a very big proponent of asking some hard questions. And this is not me as a mindfulness coach, but this is just me as a human. I'm really starting to feel strongly about how are you? Are you, are you, um, like, do you have a support team around you? I can tell that you're kind of stressed. Have you considered seeing a therapist and even saying, have you, if, especially if I can tell that they're really stressed, something might be going on. I ask the hard question. Have you had thoughts of hurting yourself? Have you had thoughts of going to sleep and not waking up? I just jump right into it because I don't want to play around with real mental health. So I, I do, I ask my students and I have had, or, you know, even just people around me, I ask them. And, um, I, I want to be kind of like a first responder. Well, we are, we we often are. are. People will share with us because once again, it comes back to creating that safe space where we're listening to them, whether we're listening to them sing 
or speak where they're able to open up and express themselves and they often do share. So I call us frontline workers. Yes, Yes, yes. And then making sure that you have a list of local resources where somebody could, you know, very affordably go and get help if they need to. That's, you know, amazing if you just kind of have that handy. But yes, just um, being able to lend a listening ear, give some lovely support. Um, and then if they are open to a recommendation to possibly read an article maybe, or listen to a, a podcast episode, if you have something that you think might be helpful, that's you know obviously up to them, but just mm-hmm. them knowing that you're there, that you love them, that you're willing to look them in the eyes and say, I really care about you. And I want to make sure that you're safe. Mm-hmm. And that's um, important as well. There's so many things that I would love to continue talking to you about. Yes, I know. Because <laughs> we haven't even talked about your business coaching and maybe maybe we, we'll have you back and we can talk about business coaching some other Great. time. Great. So we're down to the last few questions. And okay. you, Evan, what have you learned about yourself throughout the process of discovering mindfulness? Um, I have discovered that I am worthy of taking care of myself and that I am so much more powerful than I ever imagined. Um, and I, I feel so much better. Yes, I feel all the feelings that I ever felt. I still feel frustrated and I still, but when a feeling hits, I can slow down and I have the tools. I know how to process it. And I'm just so happy that I have those skills and that I know how to lean into a better future for myself. And um, it's just the most amazing thing that I could imagine for myself. That sounds so amazing that I want a cup of all of that. Here it is, here. (gasps) (laughs) Thank you. I'll just send it through the computer to you. (laughs) Yay. What's the greatest piece of advice you would like to offer our voice community and beyond? Okay. Mm, That's a good question. I want, if I have one thing, for each of you, I want to sell you on the idea of yourself, on your worth, your value, um, maintaining your wellness emotionally now. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I am definitely not the only person who could possibly be of help to you. There are so many resources and I would love to be able to continue to point you to those resources um, in any way that I can help. Um, But I would go to evandunn.com and sign up for a totally free, no pressure, just a chance to chat with a a mindfulness coach who can help you to see if you 
if you are having distorted thoughts, no, to help you to see your distorted thoughts so that you can start making better intentional choices for yourself. That is the most amazing gift that you could give yourself. That sounds amazing. And we are going to share all your links to your website, to your podcast, to anything that you would like us to share with the listeners. We're going to put all those in the show notes so people can refer to those links and find you and discover the joy of being mindful and everyone living their best life in the here and the now. Yes, yes. Evan, it has been such a joy having you on the show. I really appreciate everything that you've shared with us. There's some really powerful stuff. And thank you for guiding me through my own distorted (laughs) thoughts there on my relationship. And I hope my husband doesn't kill me. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you so much. I wish you all the very best. And we will have you back on the show sometime. You've just been brilliant. Thank you so much. And until next time, Marissa. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of A Voice and Beyond. I hope you enjoyed it as now is an important time for you to invest in your own self-care, personal growth and education. Use every day as an opportunity to learn and to grow so you can show up feeling empowered and ready to live your best life. If you know someone who will also be inspired by this episode, please be sure to copy and paste the link and share it with them. Or share it on social media and use the hashtag A Voice and Beyond. I promise you, I am committed to bringing you more inspiration and conversations just like this one every week. And if you would like to help me, please rate and review this podcast and cheer me on by clicking the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts right now. I would also love to know what it is that you most enjoyed about this episode and what was your biggest takeaway. Please take care and I look forward to your company next time on the next episode of A Voice and Beyond.